testimony. Jesus, good morning. Thank you for this Thursday morning. And uh, again, I'm excited to hear uh, from you, Lord, through John this morning. And as he shares his faith journey, um, just ask you to help us to hear, glean things from John's story that you want us to feel, think about, um, and maybe even do today, God. So we just love you. We'll give this day up to you. Just ask you to bless John and Michelle and the kids in his ministry. Lord, we love you. Amen. John Ellis, good morning. Good morning, Jerry Behrman. Hey, guys, uh, ladies, glad to be with you this morning. I am going to share my testimony, and I'm starting at the very beginning because I think, you know, with our, our story that it, it matters kind of where we come from. It really kind of helps lay the foundation. So that being said, uh, my dad graduated from Michigan State um, a long time ago with a degree in mechanical engineering. Um, moved down to Wright Pat to pay off some ROTC dues that he had from college, which is where I was born. He got an assistant teaching job at UC for a few, maybe a year, and then landed a job at Alice Chalmers in Norwood. Uh, my mom had graduated from Barton College in Michigan with a RN degree. She was a nurse, as was her sister. Um, we moved to a place called Bahama Terrace off Coleraine Avenue, which um, is now quite notorious. Back then was really rather nice. Um, then moved maybe a mile or two north onto a road called Burnside. So um, Provident Hospital and Crosley Mansion and this giant wood were my backyard where I played and we had an in-ground pool and it was, a, it was just a great beginning to life. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom was kind of like the best part of hippie in that she didn't do the drug experimenting, but life was hard um, for her. And so she found herself praying and one day sitting in the laundry room as she was contemplating ending her life and complaining a little bit in her prayers, she realized that God had been answering prayers, like that he had just, she started recounting prayer after prayer after prayer that got it addressed and it just, the realization overwhelmed her and she fell in love with Jesus and she wanted everybody else to fall in love with Jesus. So she was um, one of those crazy Jesus people. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad was a good Baptist and uh, we stayed loyal to the brand. So we landed at a Baptist church over on Blue Rock Road. Um, and as I entered the story, I was probably a source of a lot of my mom's prayers. Um, <laughs> that uh you know I, I trained her i like to think um and my sister was born about three and a half years after me and she was she was sweet and idyllic and she slept at night and stuff and my mom thought something was wrong with her because <laughs> all she knew was crazy me and and this was like i wasn't even trying this was just out of the womb like i still had the new baby smell i was just i'm a little whack um so Typical 70s kid. Uh, we rode our bikes everywhere. Um, I got in fistfights. I stole change out of my mom's purse and coins out of my dad's coin collection so I could buy candy. And um, the, the other thing that went on in the 70s was this Jesus people thing. These, these hippies really were falling in love with Jesus and taking care of each other. And there was this beautiful movement of the Holy Spirit and energy around that. And it was so attractive. And so the high schoolers, I was a little kid, but the high schoolers were living in that. And I'm like, this is so cool. And they would come to my house because my parents would let them swim. And 
Um, and I'm like, I want to, I want in, I want in on this. And so at the Baptist church, you had to do a four spiritual laws class. That was like your, uh, your prerequisite to get baptized. So I did my four spiritual laws when I was about eight or nine years old and I got baptized and it was a very solemn and somber event and occasion. I remember the men in their suits going, mm. <laughs> you know, kind of, that was their approval of me doing the right thing there. Um, when I came home that day, I went upstairs into our bathroom and uh, I just, I started sobbing and I was, I was overwhelmed and girls would call it an ugly cry. It was an ugly cry. Yeah. And um, pretty soon my mom's knocking at the door and she's like, you know, are you okay? And I'm like, uh, and she's like, are you all right? And I'm like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I just was, I was wrecked. Wow. And so um, being good Baptists, um, we didn't, you know, like the Holy Spirit was okay, but he really didn't do anything. And I would today describe that as a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, mm. where he was really trying to engage me and, and was changing something seismically in my soul, but mm. I didn't have anybody to explain it to me. Mm. So it just went in this bucket of weird things. Like that was weird. Um, and so it was really, you know, it was challenging. And in spite of that encounter with the Holy Spirit and doing the right thing and getting baptized and, you know, the old man humming at me, I didn't get fixed. I was still, you know, I was just a little turd. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, in the middle of my seventh grade year, so this is the winter of 1977, my dad takes a job in Connecticut and we up and moved to a place that was far away from everything to I, that I knew. It was very, for me, inhospitable. Um, you know, I went there. So seventh grade boys are, I mean, you know, my idiot now was on steroids. My voice cracked. My face was pimply. You know, I mean, I just was, I was a hot mess. Um, I went to Connecticut. I learned that I had an accent. I didn't know I had an accent. And I learned that we drank soda, not pop at a very tragic event in the cafeteria of the junior high school that <laughs> scarred me. Um, but it just really made me realize that I was on the outside looking in. And um, it was super hard for me. I tried running away, like to come back to Cincinnati. That didn't work. Um, so at this point, I became a... Um, an antagonist like I was now going to be an intentional pain in the ass mm -hmm. and um my mom we had been there for two months and on April Fool's Day my mom had a near fatal car accident so I didn't I didn't know anybody she's in the hospital um I wake up there's strangers in my house because my dad has left and he brought somebody else's kids over to my place so that we didn't wake up to an empty house mm. She spent a week in ICU um, with this head injury. And so when she came home, you know, head injuries change people. My mom was, she was different. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a hard season. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just, my, in my rebellion and my anger, I started experimenting with alcohol and drugs. Um, and I just functionally abandoned everybody who loved me. Mm -hmm. And also during that season, my mom got pregnant again. And so I'm 15 years old and I have a brand new baby sister at my house. And it's like, I'm crazy. And then that added crazy to the crazy. So it's just, it's, it's a mess. Then in the middle of my junior year, 
my dad takes a job in Northeast Ohio outside Youngstown. Mm. And, um, you know, it, this was a, a new start for me, a fresh beginning. I'm like, I can just do things different. I don't have to be a hot mess. And so I tried and I lasted about two months and then I just fell back into my old habits and I was not kind of as angry. I was a little bit more defeated and just grew to a place where I really didn't like myself. Um, my mom got pregnant again. So when I was 17, I had twin brothers and uh, life was wild. Then uh, in 1984, my dad took a job in Los Angeles and we moved to the West Coast. This was another fresh start. I had learned in my last fresh start that I was untrustworthy. So I locked myself in my room with my Bible for like six months. I mean, I just didn't, I had zero social life. I was hiding from me. Like if I went out there, I knew I was going to screw it up. And that um, lasted for about six months. And then I just became so isolated and frustrated. I was like, Jesus, I just don't like this. I had become incredibly intimate with both the written word and the living word. And I'm just like, I don't want to do this. And he's like, well, you don't want to do that. But I didn't have any idea socially how to make friends. I mean, I had spent the last 10 years just numb, 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 numb. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not playing your silly reindeer games. I'm going. And so I started going out and because this now this self-hatred had just welled up to an excessive level at that point. And I was drinking the blackout almost every night. Mm. Um, and so I would spend the next two years, I would describe myself as the most miserable man on the planet. Mm. Just didn't like myself. Ended up getting a DUI, spent a couple nights in jail in Ventura County, which if you're familiar with Southern California, was an incredible gift from God because had I gone to jail in LA or Orange County, I don't know that I would have come out. Um, so it was a wake up call to me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is really bad. I need to, I need to get my act together. Um, so I quit. Um, but I just didn't know how to quit. So the next day I was drinking again. Mm. Um, I had wrecked my car, lost my job, got kicked out of my friend's apartments and have any money. So I went to my parents and I'm like, hey, can I move home? And my mom had been going to Al-Anon, which if you're an alcoholic, Al-Anon's a really bad thing because they teach people how to turn the screws on you. <laughs> so she <laughs> says, you can move in, but you have to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And so I, I turned around real quickly and did some math. And I said, wait a minute, that's every day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> when am I supposed to go out drinking with my friends? And she's like, that's the point. So uh I went to four, she took me. So, you know, you got a picture. I'm going to an AA meeting. We go to one in El Monte, which is a highly Hispanic community. And there are um, genuine cholos, the guys in the wife beaters and the, the khaki uh, shorts. And they're talking about, you know, wrecking 86 cars and three different marriages and the time they accidentally burned the house down. And I'm, I've got my arms crossed and I'm like, I'm nothing like you guys. Mm. And I felt like that for about four meetings. And then I felt like that voice, the, the guy from the bathroom comes back and says, if you don't change, you're going to be exactly like them. Mm. And it was like this, whoa, scary, like God thought right through my head. And so then I started trying and I would get like two or three weeks and I'd call my friends and tell them how good I was doing. And then they would invite me over to celebrate my success. And so I would fail. And uh, <laughs> 
And so I hung out in AA for like six months and couldn't get a 30 day chip, which is like 30 days of sobriety in a row. And so people are like, what's wrong with this dude? But they'll tell you in the program that you don't have a, an alcohol problem. Alcohol is your solution. You have a spiritual problem. Mm. And so I started venturing into a church called the Vineyard in Anaheim, California, and started making some friends there and was doing AA and this young adults group and uh, went with my friends to celebrate again my success and got into a little bit of a wrestling match with one of them and he punched me in the face. And I'm like, you know, friends don't punch their friends in the face. It's not they don't punch each other, but the face is different. Yeah. And it just made me, it was like this awakening, like these guys aren't my friends. And so I doubled down with the vineyard and um, pushed all the way in with their young adults group. And, and they, they made room for me. Mm-hmm. They created relationship space for me. And I was, I was awkward and uncomfortable and had always felt like I was in the outside looking in like that experience in the, the junior high lunchroom where it felt like everyone was laughing because I asked for a pop and not a soda. Yeah. i had always felt like the kid with his nose pressed up against the glass. And these guys just invited me in. They made room for me. Mm-hmm. They, um, prayed for me and in a, a very real way believed in me mm-hmm. way more than I believed in myself. Mm-hmm. And so through that, I got to experience the power of the Holy Spirit with someone that could tell me what it was and where to find it in the Bible and how to anticipate and participate with that. And they talked about the kingdom of God. They said, you know, this thing that we're doing together is what God wants to build in us. And it was all about the relationship. It's all about making room. We shared meals. They, they took me out of the country. I'd never left the country. Went to an orphanage in Mexico. Um, and they like, I'm like, I'm not sure you want me on your team. Cause I was still rough. I mean, I was really rough and they're like, no, come on. And I'm like, yeah, um, you do know, like, and they're like, don't worry about it. And they just started bringing me along. And so that, like that trip to Mexico just changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it opened this door. So my family still does that. Mm-hmm. We're going to Mexico this July from the 18th to the 25th, given that the border is open and the orphanage is open mm-hmm. and we will spend, it's a, it's a couple miles. The orphanage is a couple miles from the Pacific ocean. So it is very much a vacation, but it is a mission also. And we get to serve these kids and love them. And it is been something that we've been doing for decades. And, and it is awesome. If you'd like to join me, you can check out dofo.org. dofo.org. It's the door of faith orphanage. And uh, if you're interested, just reach out. But we're praying for the kingdom of God to come. We want to see more good. We want to see more power of Jesus change lives. That's what I'm passionate about. It's what God has done in me. And it's what God wants to do through me. So that has been now a, uh, that was the end of 1986, beginning of 87, when I got punched into the kingdom of God. So it's been a good run. And I am so grateful. So very grateful. Good. That's good. We all, we need to do part one and part two of these. One of the things that I'm experiencing is 15 minutes isn't nearly enough. 
to hear um, everybody's story, but it is interesting. I've known you for a lot of years and I have, there's a lot of pieces to that, John, I've not heard before. So I appreciate your transparency and vulnerability. And, and it's really great too, as you you have influence, uh, tremendous influence with, with our staff, with our team. Uh, it'd be great for them to get to know you a little bit better through this. So I'm glad that we take these also. So it's good stuff, man. Really good. All right. Well, I love you. Uh, we love you. And uh, we appreciate your investment in us um, as well, John. So I'm going to ask you to pray us into the rest of our Thursday. All right. Love to do that. Tribe, thanks for being with me this morning. Um, Jesus, I want to pray this tribe into your kingdom into yeah. your kingdom work and into your kingdom perspective and into your kingdom power today. Yeah. I bless them with eyes to see and ears to hear. I bless them with words of life. Mm-hmm. I bless them with the ability to see what is not yet fully here and to call it forth and to live into it and to draw others into it. Mm-hmm. Jesus, would you make us about what you're about today? In the midst of our work, in the midst of our play, mm-hmm. in the midst of our going, our coming and going, would you fill us with your power, your presence, and the opportunity to see your kingdom come and your will be done in us mm-hmm. and through us as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Well done.